Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. ...some wind this morning. It is a blessing. Can you say amen? And we're going to look it together into the Word of God this morning. I'd like you to open to Psalm chapter 27, the 27th Psalm we're going to look at together this morning and God is going to help us you know there is nothing that can replace nothing that can replace the presence of God's people together and the presence of the Holy Spirit and uh, in a generation where we have technology we have uh, certain light I drove by several churches this morning that had shut down their services, and uh, you know they're they're no doubt doing live streams and broadcasts and TVs and radios and all kinds of things, but you know at the end of the day, nothing can replace what we have here this morning. I didn't get any amens. You don't believe that, but it's still true because uh, when we gather together in God's presence, uh, there is a power. There is a there is a dy- dynamic presence of God, and I'm so grateful for that. Psalm 27. We're going to read there uh, for just a moment. I don't know if you have tried to purchase toilet paper in the last week, but if you have, uh, there's a good chance you've been unsuccessful. My wife yesterday went to, I think, three or four stores looking for toilet paper and uh, was unsuccessful. Um, I I read all of the um, symptoms of coronavirus uh, but I did not read anywhere on the symptoms about uh, uh, any kind of diarrhea or problems with bowels. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly why there is a panic uh, over toilet paper. But thankfully, my wife went to a, a Chinese or Asian grocery store. And guess what? They had toilet paper. And... Uh, uh, you're glad that you're here this morning because the church had a big stack of toilet paper. Uh, don't take it home this morning. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, if, if you need to use the toilet, you can you can come to church. Hallelujah. Uh, but it's interesting because it reveals something in, uh, about the human condition. There is a term that is known by people who study these things, something called panic buying. And panic buying is what happens is actually we've seen it happening in the last week. It occurs when people buy unusually large amounts of a certain product or a number of products in anticipation of or after a disaster or a perceived disaster or in anticipation of a large price increase or shortage. What panic buying really is, is a type of of herd behavior it reveals that human beings as the bible says human beings are like sheep 
Jesus called us sheep. If we see a bunch of people doing a certain thing, then guess what we want to do? The same thing. If we see that Sam's Club, all of the shelves are empty of toilet paper, well, guess what that makes us want to do? Well, I guess I need toilet paper too. It is a type of herd behavior, and uh, it, it, it can lead to genuine shortages. Even now, people, the companies who make toilet paper, it's not like they're out of business. It's not like they're uh, not producing anything. In fact, they have doubled and tripled their normal output. Uh, but what it is, is simply there is such a huge demand. Uh, as people say, it's the end of the world and I need toilet paper. Uh, that this is what is, and even I've seen videos on social media of people in stores getting into fights over a package of toilet paper. No, I need to wipe my rear end more than you. And this is the hour that we are living in. The coronavirus is stoking these fears. It is dominating the news. You cannot turn on a radio program, podcast, open social media. You can't do any of those things without reading something scary about coronavirus. Uh, the federal government and the World Health Organization have both labeled this as a worldwide pandemic. We are seeing now governments taking actions. Even our local state government is, uh, is uh, taking steps. Our governor, our local uh, school boards, and all these various things, it's, it's causing difficulties, as we mentioned. The schools are now out for at least two weeks. Uh, it's affecting the economy. It's affecting travel. Uh, even sports fans are now being denied. The NCAA championship uh, is saying that, you know, you can't, uh, you can't go and see a basketball game. Uh, even the concert we were planning to go on Friday night, uh, they said we're going to go ahead and postpone that till a later date. And Friday, uh, President Trump declared this crisis a national emergency, releasing all kind of resources so that uh, we can confront this difficult thing. So, with all of that said, what does it mean for us this morning? How should God's people behave? How should we live? How should we be thinking? And what can we do in the face of a pandemic? So this is a message I've titled, Don't Panic During Pandemic. And this is, the, uh, this is the message from Psalm 27, verse 1. Let's read this together as we confront a spirit that is loose in our generation right now. Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I want you to say that out loud this morning. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high 
upon a rock. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come once again by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for a people here today, God, a people who uh, have come desiring more of you, God, more of your word, more of your truth, the presence of God and God's people in this place. I'm praying, God, against the spirit of fear that while we recognize that we should not be foolish, we take necessary precautions but god there is a certain amount of risk we are willing to take in order to experience your blessing and your favor god let us confront fearful hearts this morning for all that you're going to do in jesus mighty name god's people would say amen we're so glad to have you this morning and again uh the name of this message is don't panic during pandemic and uh, the first thing i want to share with you is uh, is some common sense. Common sense that f- first thing that we should be acting with and we should be uh, thinking about is that, yes, God's people, we must be prudent and we must have common sense. To be a person of faith does not mean that we throw common sense out the window. Uh, I have, you know, I, uh, maybe you saw in the last week there was an NBA player who was, uh, and I forget his name, but he was, in a, he was doing a press interview, and he was making fun of the coronavirus and all of the, all of the coverage that it's getting, and he began to touch all of the cameras and the microphones, and he was just laughing, ah, ha, ha, what a joke, laughing and coughing, he was fake coughing on people, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get infected too. Well, turns out he was infected, positive for coronavirus, and now all of his teammates and now all of the press that were there that day, now they're all in quarantine too. So that's number one, is don't throw common sense out the window just because we are Christians. We know that uh, there, there are several examples of this in the Word of God. Uh, Jesus, as he is being confronted by Satan in this time of temptation, Jesus quoted to Satan, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, which is this sentence. It says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. How is it this morning that we can tempt the Lord our God? It's by acting foolishly, by acting stupidly. Remember what Satan was asking Jesus to do. He says, ah, go ahead, Jesus, just toss yourself off the top of the, uh, the pinnacle. And guess what? You're the son of God, so he'll save you. He'll send angels to catch you from falling. But how stupid would that be? Jesus is going to increase the risk of his personal health and safety, and he's going to say, God, you'll just protect me. And how many know this morning, God doesn't protect you when you're acting like an idiot? (laughs) We are called to have some level of common sense. Uh, One Bible scholar, G. Campbell Morgan, said, The moment we do something to prove God, we are proving that we are not sure of God. Trust never employs tricks to find out whether the one trusted is trustworthy. For the person to act foolish in the face of of, uh, true danger, it is actually a spirit of pride. It is not, it is very different from being bold in our faith and bold in our confidence to God. But we also have to have a level of common sense this morning. Another example in 
in uh, Numbers chapter 13, Israel comes to Kadesh Barnea, and God had given them the land, right? We're reading about this in our Bible reading program. And uh, God had already told them to go in and possess the land. So then when the 12 spies came back, it's Caleb and Joshua who are insisting, yes, brothers, we need to obey God and boldly enter into Canaan. Now that, from the outside or from a, from a, uh, from a earthly perspective, that sounds like a foolish thing to do, to go in against all of these giants and enemies. But we already know that this was God's will for them to go in. And so obeying that commandment was not something foolish. Obeying that commandment was an act of faith. And when God's people refused to do that, then we know that they suffered greatly. Can you say amen? John chapter 8. The Bible says that Jews picked up stones to throw at Jesus to kill him. He's beginning to say a few things that they don't agree with. Like, uh, if you want to follow me, if you want to have eternal life, then you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He is saying to them uh, that he is eternal, that that only when we partake of him that, uh, that we can please God. Well, guess what? The people didn't really like that. And the Bible says they began to pick up stones to try to throw at Jesus. Now, Jesus is the son of God, right? Jesus could have said a word and caused all of their arms to be paralyzed in a moment. Jesus uh, could have just disappeared and floated away like he did uh, in the book of Acts. But Jesus didn't do any of those things. Do you know what the Bible says Jesus did? It says in John eight fifty nine that they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So what this says to us is that Jesus had some common sense in the face of a dangerous situation. He didn't rely on supernatural power. All he had to do was was have common sense. Maybe if there are stones being thrown at me, maybe I can just leave. (laughs) And that's what he did. Something similar in Paul's life in 2 Corinthians. It says that uh, the authorities there in Corinth were trying to arrest him. And so Paul, he could have, you know, got down on his knees and say, Oh, Lord, uh, deliver me from my enemies. Oh, Lord, it's a, uh, it's a difficult time for me. So you, God, you put a hedge of protection. And no doubt he prayed for all of those things. But the point is that that was not where his faith ended. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 33, he says, I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped from their hands. So it sounds like cowardice. It sounds maybe like he's running from the fight. But you know, that was actually a really smart thing to do. If you can get away from the danger, then it's a great thing to do. Surely God could have done something more impressive. He could have sent angels to swing his sword back and forth in front of Paul. But if he can escape the danger just by coming out of a basket from a window, then a very practical way to avoid danger. In the same way this morning, I'm making the point that in the absence of a divine command, if you have not heard the voice of God, thus says the Lord God, lick every uh, doorknob in your presence. Okay, if you haven't heard the voice of God, then 
just have some common sense. That's a good way to live. Can you say amen? Listen to what the medical professionals are telling us. Just washing your hands, having some sanitizer with you, uh, maintain a personal bubble. Thanks, brother. I can smell your breath. It's okay. Just let's take a step back. We're all going to be okay. So those things are not evil. It's not saying that we lack faith by practicing common sense. There are doctors and there are authorities who are telling us uh, just some simple things that we can do in order to uh, minimize the risk of becoming infected. And uh, we should probably listen to those things. We can minimize our exposure to large crowds, although I'm questioning, you know, how serious we are about avoiding large crowds because even though we're shutting down the NCAA, shutting down the NBA, uh, every, every... uh, airport is still open. I just went through JFK. You know, 500,000 people a day go through JFK Airport. We're not shutting those down, so um, I'm, I'm just questioning if, if we're really serious about that. It's either one or the other. Either you can, uh, either it's okay, there's a minimal risk, but yeah, it's something we can contain. Uh, maybe we, sh- we should shut down JFK. Or, you know, maybe we're going a little overboard right now by shutting down every school, right? It could be. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm just uh, pontificating. But, uh, yes, we should avoid two extremes. Number one is the extreme that because I'm a Christian, I don't have to have any common sense. That's an extreme. The other extreme is panic, which we're seeing everywhere we go right now. It is a spirit of fear. God, how many know God has not given us the spirit of fear? And that is why I want you to receive this psalm that we started with this morning. I want to read it one more time, and I want you to drink deeply, because this is what we are thirsty for in a, in a moment, in a time of our history, where fear is gripping everyone around us. Fear is gripping the, the, the media. Fear is gripping your, your friends and family. But in this moment, you don't have to be controlled by fear. And I want to tell you why. Listen again to our scripture, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There is so much wisdom in that this morning. So much wisdom. If the Lord is the one who saves us. If God is on our side, then who can come against us? Can coronavirus come even close to the power of God? If it can, then you have a puny God. If coronavirus is more scary to you than the judgment of God, then you have a very poor God indeed. If the Lord truly is my light and my salvation then whom shall I fear? There is power in that this morning. There is confidence in that statement. He goes on, the Lord is the strength. Everybody say strength. The Lord is the strength of my life. So of whom shall I be afraid? We know that David is speaking these words in a moment where there are enemies coming against him. He's being chased. He's being pursued. The King Saul is coming after him, trying to kill him. 
that there are enemies on every side, that people are betraying him, that they're pursuing him through the wilderness, that he is facing constant danger. And uh, the danger that he faced is a lot greater than the danger you and I are facing in this coronavirus. And yet, in the midst of his difficulty, he says, you know what? God's got this. Because he is my salvation. He is my strength. So why am I going to try to take the control of this by worrying about it? We know Jesus confronted this head on, didn't he? He said, uh, why do we think that worrying and fear and fretting and panicking, why do we think this can help us? Why do we think that 10 packages of toilet paper is going to somehow make us feel better? And that's exactly what people are doing. The spirit of panic, can I tell you something? It does nothing to help you. Nothing. There are people who take the necessary precautions. That's mostly the people who are here this morning, right? We're not going to be idiots. We're not going to lick doorknobs. We're going to wash our hands. We're going to keep healthy distances from people. We're going to load up on vitamin C. We're going to do the things that we should be doing. But you don't have to let panic control you. We can still have confidence. Do you know why? Where does the confidence come from? It comes from our relationship with God. And Jesus says, can worry add to your stature? Can your worry, can your fear, can your panic, can it even add half an inch to your height? No. Can your worry, can your fear, can it, can it cause your immune system to be better than the guy down the street? No. All it is, the worry, the fear, the panic, the fret, all of these things are spiritual. And they can cause us to break down in our fear and confidence of the Lord our God. See, what happens is when we give a place in our lives, in our hearts, to fear and panic, what begins to happen is that fear begins to replace our fear of God. Because the truth is, fear and faith cannot coexist in the same place at the same time. Why am I not freaking out over coronavirus? Because I believe God. If I get infected, you know what? I'm going to quarantine myself. I'm going to do all the things I need to do. But you know what? God's still in control. I don't have to be afraid. I should be concerned. I should take the necessary precautions. I should do what the doctors tell me to do. I should listen to the authorities. But you know what? (laughs) I'm not going to freak out over it. I'm not going to buy a pallet full of toilet paper. I only need one package. My girls need a little bit more than me. But you know what? We're going to be okay. And in, you know, in the last days, there shall be a shortage of toilet paper. You know what? We live for thousands of years without toilet paper. There are other methods and other means if you're really interested in it, okay? (laughs) But I want to think about for just a moment. What to do if you feel yourself becoming anxious? And I'm choosing those words carefully because anxiety, fear, and panic are emotional in nature. You all will know what that feels like, right? This is why people go to scary movies, right? It's an emotional 
response. There's a sense of anticipation. There's a sense of panic and fear. And you know what? I, I really don't get why people spend money on scary movies. It's like I already have enough stress in my life. I'm not going to watch another scary movie just to freak me out and make me stressed out even more. But there is, a, there is almost an addictive part of that feeling, isn't there? There's an addiction. It's a, it's a, you get a little, uh, a little high out of, the, um, out of the, the response that your body gives in a state of panic and fear. But I want to tell you, that if you feel yourself becoming anxious over virus or over anything else, there are great scriptures in the word of God that you can hold on to. Psalm 27 is one of them, but also Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in... This is speaking about the servant of the Lord. For those of us who are serving God, what will God help us with? says, God, you will keep your servant in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord is everlasting strength. Aren't you glad this morning that God gives us an option? We don't have to react the same way the world reacts. Let's look secondly. Beyond common sense, what should we do in the face of great fear? What we need to do is seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Not seek the government, not seek a doctor, not seek a cure, but seek the Lord. Every, I believe, every time we come face to face with a crisis in our lives, it's an opportunity to seek God and His will. I believe, you know, God was not surprised by coronavirus, right? We were all surprised by it. But God was not surprised. In fact, the Bible says sometimes God allows pandemics and he allows certain plagues to take place as part of his perfect will. Why would God allow something like that? Well, the same reason that God allowed 10 plagues to come on the people of Egypt. Why did God allow 10 plagues to hurt those people of Egypt? I'll tell you why. Because God cared about them. God wanted them to change their wicked hearts, didn't he? How many times did God speak to Pharaoh through Moses and said, "Uh, Pharaoh, just turn your heart. Turn your heart to me. Soften your heart. And in this plague, it's an opportunity for you, Pharaoh, to turn your heart away from your evil and turn to God in faith. But through every plague, we know that Pharaoh began to harden his heart toward God. It is always God's intention to bring us closer to him. In fact, when you read through the history of the Jewish people and of the Israeli nation, you will read again and again of God allowing calamity against God's people. Allowing foreign armies to invade, allowing plagues and pestilence. Why would God allow those things? Well, because they were all intended to bring God's people back to the heart of God. Whether it's when uh, Jerusalem was captured by Babylon, uh, Jerusalem was attacked by King Jehoiakim in 2 Kings. Before that, it was Babylon who came and took captives away. Even the prophet Daniel was part of that. 
and he was in captivity during the time that Babylon had taken God's people captive. Why did all of these things? Don't you think God would put a bubble of protection around his people? Well, not when they're disobedient. Not when they're worshiping false gods. And God allows evil things to take place like that. God allows plagues and pestilence and attacks from enemies because it's part of his perfect plan. See, there's a danger right now. The danger is that we as a culture and we as a people and even around the world as we begin to confront this virus, the danger is that we could rally our resources, that the Fed can release $1.5 trillion in loan guarantees, right? That the, that the Trump administration can, can support local communities. We can do all of these things and not seek God. That's why I'm so glad that with all of his foibles, at least Donald Trump is, is, uh, is smart enough to say, you know what, we can do a lot of things. There's some things we can't do. We need God. We need God. Today is a national day of prayer. And that reveals a wisdom. It reveals today that we can do everything we can do and still fail during this time if we fail to seek God's wisdom, God's protection. We already understand that to be a person of faith does not mean acting like an idiot. To be a person of faith means we do what we can do, but there is a limit. How many understand? There's a limit to what we can do. There's a limit to how careful you can be. There is a limit to how much our city can protect us. There is a limit to how much your doctors and your nurses and your hospitals can protect you. There is a limit to how much even a federal government can do. But there is no limit to what God can do. There is no limit to his protection. And that's why the most common sense, the most, uh, the most uh, perfect thing that we can do is simply to seek God. Seek God. There's a famous scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And it's a, it's a revival verse. And you've heard it before. You've heard me preach sermons about this, this scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. But one of the things that Christians are guilty of is that we don't read scriptures in context. We take one little verse and we, you know, we, we stitch it onto a pillow or put it onto a bumper sticker and we forget what the scripture is before or scripture is after. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. Verse right before that revival verse. You know what it says? This is God speaking. And he says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. That that's, sounds pretty bad. Or when I command locusts to devour the land. Or when I send pestilence among my people. You know what that word pestilence means? Diseases. Sicknesses. Viruses. Isn't that interesting? God says, I'm the one sending the pestilence. So when I do these terrible things, 
When I bring a drought, when I bring a locust to destroy all of your crops, or when I allow a pestilence among my people, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith. You know, it it reveals a side of God that we don't often think about. It reveals God as the source of allowing the bad stuff to happen. And in the moment of the plague, in the moment of the pestilence, in the moment that the drought is happening, we're like, God, how could this possibly be you? But if you're a parent, you know what it means. Sometimes you let your kids suffer a little bit so they can learn something. Right? This is the difference between mothers and fathers in general. Not every mother and father are like this, but in most marriages, in most uh, 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 families, you know, you have a mom who, oh man, the heart is just so attached to those little, those little babies, you know, and, and mom always wants to protect her children. But see, dad, he's got kind of a different perspective. Dad, normally, he says, uh, oh, okay, so the kid wants to touch the hot stove? Let him touch it. He'll learn. Right? Dad says, let him suffer a little bit, and he'll learn something. And I'm, that is the wonderful thing about marriage and about having a, a home where mom and dad are both present because what kids really need is a balance of both, right? But if we are good parents, we do not protect, we do not protect from every harm. We do not protect them from experiencing all difficulty, right? We want our kids to struggle because through struggle, they can learn something. We don't, if our kid is getting a bad grade in school, we don't march down to the teacher and say, why did you give my kid a bad grade? Well, maybe your kid got a bad grade because they're not doing well. They're not studying. They're doing, not doing homework. Let the kid get a bad grade so that he'll learn to do better. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your child to march down there and wag, wag your finger in the face of the teacher, right? I lost the amens. I'm not sure what happened. But sometimes it's good for us to experience struggle. And God, as a good father, he will allow us to struggle. And in fact, sometimes he sends the difficulties. Pastor, are you saying that coronavirus came from God? Well, I do know that God allowed it. If nothing else, I can't say for sure that God has ordained coronavirus to bring about his purposes. But I do, I can say with confidence, God has allowed it. And he has a purpose for it. And maybe for some people, without coronavirus, they would never turn to him. This passage of revival, God's plan for revival, started with terrible disease and drought. But sometimes it's only in those times of disease and pestilence and drought, sometimes it's only then that we seek God like we really ought to. Sometimes it's only then that we really begin to humble ourselves. 
Sometimes it's only in a crisis that we say, oh God, I've been such an idiot. God, I've been turning from you. You know, it's not the first time that something, it might be the first time in our lifetimes that, that um, a flu of this magnitude has, uh, has confronted us. But, you know, there have been terrible flus that have passed through the world in the past. One of them is the flu of 1918. And actually, the flu of 1918 is exactly the same strain of flu that we just normally get every day, right? That it's, it's actually flourishing right now. This is flu season. When they say get your flu shot, that flu shot is protecting against that strain from 1918, the one that's still around with us every season. But when it first came on the scene, there was no vaccine. There was no treatment. We didn't have the kind of uh, understanding that we do today. And in 1918, it struck a severe blow to the world. You know how many people died from that flu? They say nearly a third of the world population. That is incredible. But you know what happened as a result? There was revival. People began to cry out to God. You say, God, uh, Pastor, did God bring the flu to the world? Well, look, I don't think that God enjoys watching people suffer. But I do know that God allows evil to happen because it draws people to him. It reminds us of our mortality. It reminds us that we are weak vessels. It reminds us that sin is a problem. Look, the reason that we have illness and the reason ultimately we have death is because of sin. God never created the flu virus, but God allowed it. So through a pandemic, we should humble ourselves. We should pray. Philippians 4, verse 6 instructs us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to tell you that those verses are connected. Don't make the mistake of reading one without the other. Oh, God promised me the peace that passes all understanding. Really? Did you read the verse before? It says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It is people of prayer who have the peace of God. People of prayer who experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. You think about the prophet Daniel. You know, the prophet Daniel, they wanted to destroy him. They wanted to take him down. But the problem was he was so righteous he was so, such an upright man that they had nothing to accuse him of. You know, they, they had no uh, girls on the side that were willing to testify against him. They had no, they had no uh, uh, bribery or that he stole anything, anything like that. The only way they could accuse the prophet Daniel, he prays too much. And so in Babylon, they passed a law that said, if you pray, uh, we're going to come and arrest you and throw you in the lion's den. And I love what Daniel did. As soon as they passed that law, he went to his house, he opened up all the windows, and he got down on his knees, and he started praying, as was his custom from his youth. See, in the time of difficulty, he prayed. I hope we do more than just washing our hands and carrying sanitizer with us. 
I hope that in this moment that you are humbled enough to begin to pray and seek the face of God. In, our, in that scripture, Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, that, uh, If my people who are called by my name will pray, humble themselves, and seek my face. Everybody say, seek my face. What does that mean to seek the face of God? It is a term of relationship. It means not just that I want to know more about you, but God, I want to be in your presence. I want to submit myself to you and pursue your will. Thriving as a believer, as a Christian, depends on far more than what politicians do and what governors do. What we desperately need is the face of God. We need his presence. And if we will do these things, here's the promise as we're closing. It says that God will forgive our sins and what? He will heal our land. Heal our land. Our land is sick right now and getting sicker every day. No, I'm not talking about coronavirus. Our land is sick with a lot of other things. Our land is sick with lust and perversion. Our land is sick with the blood of millions of babies that are being aborted every day. Our land is sick with greed and materialism. All of these, much worse than coronavirus. Our land is sick with division and strife. Our land is sick with a spirit of divorce. Our land is sick with so many things, and yet it's the coronavirus that's going to do us in. No. What we need is revival, church. And could it be that this outbreak, could it be that this virus that is capturing our attention, could it be that it's part of God's great plan to redeem our nation? Could it be that through a difficult moment, that we would turn from our wicked ways? Could it be that God is using this time to draw us close to him? Let's think about Joseph as we close. We read about Joseph and all the terrible things that happened to him. It's almost, you know, a a nonstop barrage of bad news for Joseph for like 20 years of his life. The record that we have of Joseph's life, and let's just recount it very quickly. He was the youngest son of 12 brothers, 11, I think, and he was the father's favorite. And because he was father's favorite, everybody else was jealous of him. Their jealousy caused them to turn on him. You know the story. They sold him into slavery. They took his father's Uh, his father's coat that he had given him. They dipped it in blood to make him think that he had died. So they broke his father's heart. They sold him into slavery. Then what happens next? He goes into slavery and he prospers there. But the Bible says that that the, the lady of the house, Potiphar's wife, accuses him of rape. He didn't do it. He's innocent. But the accusation alone was enough to send him to prison. Right. So you think at every point of the story, you're like, it can't get any worse for Joseph. Don't say that because it keeps getting worse. He gets sold into slavery. He uh, gets accused of rape falsely. 
He goes to prison, and it's like for, for years he's there falsely on a false accusation. It keeps getting worse and worse. And it's like, God, where are you? Why don't you do something for me? And we see God's plan playing out, don't we? After time, he doesn't give up. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't, he doesn't get a bad, funky attitude. He just keeps doing what he can in the time that he has. And eventually, God brings him out of that prison. God exalts him. And eventually, he sees his brothers. And this is the, one of the last things we hear out of Joseph's mouth. Listen to what he said. As his brothers are standing before him, cowering, expecting him to exact his revenge. But Joseph says to his brothers in the end, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You know, that can apply to us when we're going through difficulty. Coronavirus meant this for evil, but God means it for good. In order to bring it about this day to save many people, Alive. This is always God's purpose is toward his salvation. I ask you, is coronavirus good or bad for the kingdom of God? <laughs> I think that the upside is much better than the downside. I'm not cheering for people to get sick. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hoping that people suffer. No, but I am saying that in the grand scheme of things, this is a moment, it's a potential, it's an opportunity for God to move. And what may seem to us as something evil, God means it for good. If we will treat it rightly, if we will seek his mercy, if we will humble ourselves and pray on this national day of prayer, if we will turn and seek his face, well, then I believe there is a God in heaven who will hear our prayers, who will forgive our sins, and heal our land. I want to give you confidence this morning. You don't have to give in to the panic and fear of the hour. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I want to encourage you, people of God, on a day of prayer, let's seek his face. Let's humble ourselves. Let's pray. And let's open ourselves to the opportunity, to the possibility that God is moving even through this. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes as we bring the service to a prayer. To a close, and as we bring our hearts closer to him, the call from the word of God is simply this. Humble yourself and pray. Trust in the Lord. He is moving even through the worst situations. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.